0: This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Aston Wenger has been in Japan for a year. They don't know anything in English football. I will love it if we beat them. This is football heritage. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you, you, are, you are an ostrich. Well the wait is now over and the Premier League is back. With a rake of new rule changes plus the long-awaited introduction of VAR, there were a lot of firsts this weekend. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host Declan Hart and joining me as ever is Andrew Conway. Hello. Andrew, did you notice anything particularly noteworthy this weekend that we can look out for more of this season? Uh,
1: the mo- most obvious thing that came to my mind is the the new short pass rule where you can pass, the goal kicks can now be taken and they're count if they make a pass within the box which I think was a, an unnecessary and kind of annoying rule change because everyone plays out for the back or the most majority of teams play out from the back now anyway and at least making goalkeepers take their like goal kicks out of the box made it a bit more interesting made it a bit more difficult for the team with possession to hold on to it made it uh, you know a bit more advantageous advantageous for the pressing team to get right up on top of the defenders and try to stop them playing out from the back and I think it's very obvious it's, it's very it's very um, it's very it's not you couldn't say it's unusual because this happened again a couple of years ago when they changed the rule for the kickoff that you're able to take kickoffs and immediately every team had already adapted to that rule you're already seeing teams playing out from the back playing the goalie putting the ball down quickly passing it and there's two or three players standing in the box waiting to receive the ball and passing it around
0: yeah that's interesting cuz like it did kind of get really frustrating last year i think when the referee would make them retake the free kick or the goal kick over and over again is, but I didn't
1: mind that. Uh,
0: it just got it just kind of slowed the game down. That's why I'm kind of okay with this new rule change. I actually didn't really notice it all that much, but maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention.
1: It's just every goal kick I saw, there was that, and then the the team that would be expected to press was kind of just given up on it because they were like, "Ah, oh, there's no point. Let them have that, and we'll we'll re- reset ourselves for them once they get into like, say, the first third of the central circle. You know, just where the D is. That's when the teams' pressing game really started to take on. And it seems to push back the pressing line a good, like, 100 metres, I'd say.
0: Well, it'll be interesting... Or not 100
1: metres, but, you know, 10 10 (laughs) metres.
0: The whole pitch, like. Yeah. Uh, But it'll be interesting just to see how teams do adapt to that, because it is kind of a change similar... Like, it could be a big enough change that we think about it similarly to uh, goalkeepers not being allowed to pick up the ball from a pass back. Like, I'm not saying it's going to change the game that much. No. But it is the first change that you could think of, since then that does actually just change the game in a really minor way but still actually like aesthetically changes the way we even watch football
1: well now you're ridiculous if you don't play out from the back like now it's just you're giving the ball away or you're putting it into a lucky dip where previously you go okay i have an option to either play it's short and my big lumbering six foot five defender you know he might just lose the ball immediately and we're, we're in trouble and so i'll just boot it long i'll hope for the best now that that whole you know it, it'll be interesting to see because that whole, you know, the whole role in a team that used to exist of, okay, you're the guy that I aim for from goal kicks. Like, it was always weird. A lot of teams would aim for their fullback or something across field ball and there would be, you know, they'd try and header the ball down and there'd be two or three midfielders and around it or you'd have the big man, you know, the, the Fellaini role, you'd aim for Fellaini or aim for Lukaku or... You know, you'd have one big man that you always aim for from goal kicks, but and now that role might just cease to exist in team. And then, what's the point in having Jordan Henderson in your team?
0: <laughs> Poor Jordan Henderson. But yeah. the, this uh, this is not. A, I think this is a good thing, though. That like we won't have these big lumping balls every goal kick. We might still see it from here and there when, like, even City are like. Remember in that League Cup final against Arsenal, they lumped a ball forward from a goal kick and yeah. took advantage of the lack of an offside rule. We'll still see those kind of balls forward but it'll be good to just see more teams try playing it out from the back even if maybe the right back punts the ball forward anyway
1: yeah I get, I get what you mean it's, I see it though as a an opportunity you see it as an opportunity to be positive I see it as an opportunity to be negative because uh, it allows say the weaker the expected weaker team to just set up their defensive lines earlier and we saw over the weekend uh, I know we'll probably get into a bit more but there were several teams over the weekend who didn't really even try uh, to set up an attack against one of their bigger teams that they were played against, not that it made any difference, they still got beaten fairly handily in most cases, but you saw like Man City, you saw with uh, what with Norwich against Liverpool who didn't even try to set up attacks, they just played flat lines of defence and having this rule encouraged them to set that up earlier and not even to try and Break into the attacking third and win the ball back in dangerous places You know, the the whole ori- origin of pressing football is to put them under pressure in dangerous places Like that was, if you go back to Graham Taylor in the 80s with Watford That was his thing, is win the ball back, but win it back in important, in you know, goal scoring areas And, I, you know, a lot of the teams now at the, the lower echelons of the league aren't won't even try to do that from from almost any opportunity except a set play maybe where they get a, a, a you know a long throw or a free kick into the box that's their only foray into the opposition box they'll never have the opportunity to kind of pick up mistakes that could be made because one thing i can say every one of these top teams in the league we talked about a lot last season but none of them are perfect they're all capable there, there's like john stones there's Adam Mendy there's you know um Matib, uh give me another what's another uh, Liverpool's centre half that always makes mistakes
0: Dejan Lovren
1: Dejan Lovren you know th- th- for all the greatness of these teams defensively and how you know getting to 100 points or 99 points or 98 points or 97 points whatever they ended up at last season they had defensive frailties and it's almost it's almost giving those big teams a lift up that okay you may have players that can make mistakes but if we bring in this rule they don't have to be in a position anymore where they maybe would make that mistake unless they make a complete calamitous error in open play, which you know can still happen.
0: Yeah, because we did see that a bit in the Chelsea match, which we'll get to later. But like there was a couple of times where they tried to play out from the back and it just ended up creating chances for Manchester United. Yeah. so yeah. and Man United
1: did it as well. Don't come I mean, Like like uh, I know we'll talk about it a bit more as well. But Paul Pogba, a couple of times, in, especially in the first half, I didn't leave the one that. Uh, Emerson hitting the post, I think, started from Paul yeah. Pogba trying to overplay the ball in the edge of his box. Like, if you basically teams are setting up so far away that even if a player starts messing around the edge of their box, there's no one pressing in the in the area. So even if they make a mistake, there's no one going to pounce on it.
0: And uh, and one other thing that I, I noticed as well this week, this weekend that uh, I'm going to look out for a bit more of this season is. Obviously, it's the first weekend of VAR, so referees mm-hmm. have been, you know, there was a lot of it in the, in the West Ham-Man City match. Yeah. But there were at least two incidents uh, this weekend, if not more, because I didn't watch every match, obviously, where uh, a player went down in the box under a light challenge, and the referee actually gave a free out and a yellow card for the player for a simulation. And was that
1: a direct, direct result of VAR?
0: That's that's what I'm uh, wondering, because I think the fact that referees know they have VAR gives them that bit more confidence to be able to go, okay, th- this was a dive, I think this is a dive, this is a yellow card and free out, and if I'm wrong, well, you know, it can be uh, eradicated by the use of VAR. So uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see if like, yeah. this happen more often, because it happened in the in the West Ham uh, City match for, I can't remember which West Ham player, or maybe it was my City, I can't remember which player it was, uh, it might have been Gabriel Jesus. And then it happened in uh, Newcastle against Arsenal. And uh, one of the Newcastle players, I think it was Joe Linton, was given a yellow card for uh, simulations. So it'll be interesting to see if that becomes a trend. Or maybe it's just referees have been told to book players for simulations from the get-go, like don't even mess about with it. Well,
1: anymore. when you think about it, the, how many there's not that many new frontiers for referees now. Like they're, they're, VAR has eliminated a lot of the kind of iffy points the only one left now is like it's killing our game is VAR or not far sorry is simulation diving that's the only big bugbear that people can throw at football is like oh it's not it's a terrible sport look at those people diving you know that's the only thing that can't really be eradicated completely because it's a behavioral change that is required it's something that's needed from the top down from every or from the bottom up rather every single player would have to adjust the way they play and you know they play that way they play for fouls they play for dives because or play for free kicks because they know they get those free kicks and if it is something that referees have been instructed to do okay don't worry about a lot of other stuff but get dives right so we can kind of slowly wean it out from the top down as you know the premier league if we we we've zero tolerance to diving that's one less thing that commentators or people you know pundits or the general public can throw at them as a problem with the game of football
0: yeah, like that's why I'm just interested to see—is it a direct result of VAR, or is it just because it's because it reminds me of a few years ago when um, I think it was Mike Dean gave two penalties to Man City against Stoke in one match or something because yeah. of tugging in the co- at a corner, yeah. uh, and we saw that like one weekend of a bunch of penalties and then we never saw it again. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see—is this a similar thing? Because it was the World,
1: it, it was the World Cup, wasn't it? it? Was in Brazil at the World Cup that we saw loads of. Uh... Of penalties being given for Pushing and shoving in the box Or free kicks being given For that sort of behaviour And it was thought Oh this is a sea change in the game This is going to go This is going to radiate Throughout the whole sport And then it kind of didn't As you said There was a couple of occasions Mike Dean Being Mike Dean
0: Main event Mike Dean To give him his full name
1: Yeah main event Mike Dean Well like That was another thing We we won't spend too much time Talking about Mike Dean But he, he Like he did Seem to have more interaction With VAR Than any of the other referees I saw in any of the other matches
0: Yeah, that'll be another interesting thing to uh, to look uh, look for is does it just happen to Mike Dean every week? Yeah, like it.
1: That one was a bit of a strange one. I thought that because I after seeing that, oh, they're going to be using it now. A lot of referees are going to be employing it. Maybe the, maybe this is the what football is going to look like. But then the other matches seem to flow better, and if anything, referees are even more. They seem to let games flow even more because if something is bad, it'll get picked up by VAR and they'll be informed of it. You know that kind of way.
0: Yeah, like it. It, it is interesting because like on this show alone, we've criticised referees a lot over the last like two years now. So it'll be interesting to see do their performances improve, knowing that they have the safety net of VAR. Yeah, they can be a bit more confident in their decision making overall.
1: In fairness, our criticisms of referees generally down to that we don't criticise all referees or the the. The purpose of refereeing at all it's more that the the level of standard currently in the premier league and just like the I,
0: consistency
1: yeah you can't point at one like i saw a couple of occasions today where there was the, the martin atkinson i watched refereeing i think he was refereeing the arson newcastle match and he was he was just inconsistent to the max like there was a bad foul by the what's the name of the record signing newcastle maxim uh Sam. maxim maxim
0: Mac, yeah, Maxi Mam. is your man from Nice. I can never remember yeah. his
1: name right. Yeah, uh, with the uh, he's got gold hair, but he he left a foot in and, and a tackle after just being on the pitch, and it was classic. Oh, you're just on, you know. It's you know, calm down, calm down, relax. And like a minute later, then there was a little like a kind of little trip, and a yellow card went out and, uh, straight away from Atkinson. He was kind of laughing with the players about it, and it's like, well, that's no consistency whatsoever. A trip gets a yellow card. Because I don't know why, because Martin Oxlade felt like it, yet uh, like a studs up foul immediately from a substitute doesn't get anything.
0: Yeah, and that that actually brings me on to the Man City against uh, West Ham match on uh, Saturday afternoon, because last season one of the big uh, themes near the end of the season was uh, Man City's use of tactical fouling, uh, and then uh, Manuel Pellegrini actually had some things to say uh, after the match on Saturday about that. I said, quote, Every time we tried to arrive in their box, they committed fouls. We were innocent in that regard. If you review the game, that is why we didn't create too many chances in the first half. All our offensive moments of attacking ended in a foul. You can look at the statistics. They committed 13 fouls. We committed five. But that wasn't the reason why we lost. So it's interesting that we're starting the season now, and again, it's already being brought up, this tactical fouling and making a load of fouls and not and getting away with it, essentially, like not getting yellow-carded. Like, Rodri made three or four challenges alone in the first half, and I, I don't know, did he get yellow-carded in the entire match? So it's interesting, like, I think they made eight fouls in the first half, which is more than Liverpool and Arch did, I think, combined in their entire match the night before. So they they commit a lot of fouls and they just seem to get away with it. So it'll be interesting to see is that something that with VAR being in place now will we see uh, a stricter kind of review of by referees?
1: I think there there's a, there's a few there's a few it's a bit to unpack with this one because Manuel Pellegrini clearly is a clever man. He clearly had that pre prepared that that was something he wanted to talk about because that was that was ready to go. So it's something either he either he had already before the match that he knew this was going to happen which I think he I think he even alluded to it in the quote that they were aware of the way man city play and stuff like that but you know he's a clever man he has his excuses ready and he had his attacks ready he, he's a former Man City manager he doesn't want his successor Pep Guardiola getting anything over him and it, it did look pretty bad so anything you can do to attack him I think he went for secondly I think that, that those comments already did have an impact on today's matches because even you know the the, the classic uh, players who do a lot of those tactical fouling like for the two of the, the big teams that played today uh, Granite Xhaka for Arsenal and uh, N'Golo Kante for Chelsea both got booked for the kind of tackle that they usually get away with it was just you know the sly in the middle of the park or away from everything just leaving the foot in an extra second too long so the player can't get away and both got booked for it so maybe they already those players have been you know players like that have been earmarked and maybe we'll see a a kind of backlash to man city in the next couple of weeks because it's it's like you remember i don't know if you remember back in the day when ashley young used to be diving all the time oh yeah yeah then it was picked up on, and then he would get booked automatically, even if it wasn't really a dive. It was always, oh, yeah, probably a dive. You get a reputation, and it seems to be working in the same way that if managers and other people in the game mostly it's come from managers when they probably see more than any but most other people in terms of the, their oppositions, you know, reviewing of the, the way they play, they must know that teams like Manchester City, who aren't alone by doing this tactical fouling by any stretch, like Josie Mourinho is one of the key proponents of of 10 years ago at his interside when they used to like they used to be horrible for it and Chelsea even before then for you know rotational fouling and it's something Man City do excellently and it's part of their functional unit like if they can't get the ball back it's one of the rules remember they the 10 second rule was it if you don't I think it was six actually
0: sorry uh, I think it was six seconds uh, six seconds yeah. talked about it on Sky
1: once six second rule you have to get back into shape if you don't get in six seconds I wonder if it's been you know added to now that you know six seconds or a dangerous position you put a foul in you stop the play you stop the momentum because especially in in you see the, the funny thing is Pep's coming from I know he probably learned this in Germany to an extent he's coming from a market or not a market but for the league originally in Spain where a lot there is a lot of fouls given in a, in a normal match like it, it, it the dozens of fouls are given in a normal La Liga match and usually for very little things, like it's not a hugely contact sport. Of course, there is horrific challenges and bad things to happen in La Liga as much as any other league. But it is, the refs are very much, you tug on a player, that's a free kick. Like you see it often with players coming to the Premier League that they don't know how to adapt when they get tugged from behind and go down and they don't get a free kick. They're like, what's going on? Why don't I get a free kick? So maybe from going to Germany and saying, okay, you know, instead of doing the little tug to you know stop up play and break momentum in a match, you actually have to put in a proper foul to end to end the play and to break up momentum of your opposition.
0: Yeah, and it just ends up kind of being frustrating to watch. It, not because, you know, it's a valid it's a valid tactic to rotationally foul opposition to stop a counterattack, especially yeah. because, like, with Pep Guardiola specifically, it is a weakness, it is considered a weakness in his system that his teams don't handle counterattacks as well as, maybe, say, other teams do. So mm. it is a completely valid tactic for his uh, teams to just foul the player when uh I start to stop the counterattack. It's like the way to stop a counterattack really yeah. if you're all out of other ideas. It's just the fact that they don't get the requisite yellow card. Uh, to go with those like maybe the first challenge fair enough but like it used to always be if you stop a counter attack you do get a yellow card like that used to be the textbook yellow card you stopped a counter attack professional foul yeah. yeah professional foul exactly yeah. so it is just kind of frustrating as a viewer to see teams like Man City just completely get away with it like, like Bush Getz made a career out of this for years with um, yeah. with Pep yeah. of get, t- taking three or four challenges before he even gets a sniff of a yellow card Mark Van Bommel at the World Cup Famously didn't get yellow-carded until the final, despite committing numerous fouls yeah. in 2010. And never... So, didn't
1: get sent off in the final. We might maybe some, also Somehow,
0: said. yeah. Howard Webb, uh, good times.
1: Yeah. But, but the, as we said many times before, again, not to, to bash too much on referees, but they do... They are inconsistent to the match. If a foul goes in in the first minute of a match, that's worthy of a yellow card. It very seldom is a yellow card. Chris Waddle, I remember famously going on about because Chris Waddle, obviously... A player in the late 80s and early 90s Of immense talent and skill and trickery And generally speaking He knew the first five to 5-10 minutes There would be a player put on him to try and break him There'd be, So you it know, so foul him in the first 5 minutes And he would almost always He used to say it, almost always Whether he's in England or France He would get fouled in the first 5 minutes of the match And the referee would never book the uh, offending player Because it was in the first 5 minutes And like I said earlier about the example of the substitute Coming on not getting booked because he's just after Coming on the field there's an inconsistency in there and if they do that like if they were actually taking out, okay you're rotational fouling we know what you're doing that's 10 fouls in the last you know if a player does it, one single player does okay you know you often see a ref, re- referee saying he counts on his hand like one two three four five you five. You've fouled five times that's a yellow card even if it was an innocuous little push or something like that why isn't there an accumulation of fouls like i'm not saying being in a whole rule change like basketball where there's a certain amount of fouls per quarter that you have to you know before there's someone thrown out of the game or there's a free throw given up. I'm not saying stuff like that but as you have illustrated earlier on just be more consistent. If there's a number of fouls going on, you know what's happening in the game. You know that there this is the tactic of the team and book them because they're breaking up the competition of the game. You know the the point of the referees to adhere to keep the rules and to you know give some semblance of fairness in the game and by rotationally fouling or by these little niggly fouls that break up the play it's not fair on the opposition of that suffering these fouls
0: yeah yeah def- definitely not like there's always that one player like you mentioned Chris Waddle but even today like Eden Hazard was uh, uh always ta- tackled when he was at Chelsea Wilfred Zaha has mm. complained a lot about being targeted by teams as well in recent months and years, probably. Like, yeah. th- this is an issue. Like, it, it, it does kind of ruin the flow of a game. Like, we enjoyed watching counterattacks. And, like, we don't mind them getting broken up every once in a while just because it's a last-ditch tackle. It's, it's yeah. the last line of defense, almost. Yeah. It's just that when the player... Like, it is a form of cheating by fouling. Absolutely. Because it's breaking the rules of the game. But there, there's the rule there. That's why we have the yellow card. Like, if you cheat to this extent, you get a yellow card. Yeah. And that... It's just frustrating to see teams not get yellow cards, especially because I think about it, it's the first game of the season. If Rodri picks up a yellow card within the first 20 minutes, first of all, he can't really tackle, he can't go in hard on tackles for the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. And then if he picks up four more yellow cards for doing the same thing, he misses a game. Yeah. So it is something that impacts the season as a whole and really adds to the whole uh, marathon, not a sprint kind of feeling of the season, especially when you consider the fine margins that will likely decide this Title, as well as last year like it could go yeah. as close again this year
1: yeah absolutely and that's that you you pit the nail on the head like that it is such small margins that can dictate everything changing and it's up to the the orchestrators of the game the the people in the FA or the Premier League as it is in the, in this case to to really apply the rules consistently across the board and maybe start booking these players earlier in the season you know because there's probably Could you imagine, like, if I didn't watch all the matches, as you said, it'd be pretty difficult to watch every single match over the weekend, but, like, the amount of probably, you know, lazy fouls or, or, you know, teams getting into their groove again that happened over the weekend that would, you know, in November, December have been automatic yellow cards, and just because it's the first day of the season, it's not happening.
0: Yeah, it is interesting, and it's going to be another one of those things that we should really look out for in the season to see if more managers bring this up. First of all, and then oh, they sec- will, no doubt. Secondly, yeah, obviously they will. I think, uh, and then secondly, whether the referees actually start doing anything about it. Um, but moving on, then there there was a lot of admiration uh, for Norwich and the way they played on Friday night because Liverpool got their start of the season uh, underway under the lights. Ad- admiration? of Admiration. There, was, there I saw a lot of admiration for the way Norwich played I didn't fully understand it because the match was over uh, within 30 minutes but I think just for their like attacking vigour and a bit of ambition they showed when they went forward they tried to play nice football they tried to get around Liverpool but they
1: didn't when, when it mattered they they put yeah. the banks the banks like two banks of five effectively when early on in the match and just tried to hold on for dear life it was only when the match was lost and Liverpool started taking their foot off the pedal that they came into it in any way at all and in, in fairness to Liverpool as well, you have to remember, a lot of Liverpool players, they're the shortest pre-season of any teams. Especially the, the forwards. Especially the forwards, a lot of them in the African Cup of Nations and international duties. Other than that, they're obviously the Champions League only finished in June, didn't it? So, you know, very late to the... And they have to play a European, like you said, the Super Cup's coming up very soon. So, you know, they have other worries on their on their minds at the moment, but yeah... I I I don't get the admiration for them. It it very much felt like oh, this Norwich side does it have enough? And I've I've watched a few teams now over the weekend. That I'm like, do you have the requisite players to stay in the Premier League? There's going to be a few teams down at the bottom this season, and I don't think Norwich are going to escape that 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 rancor. I know they've only the first game, and they always lose to Liverpool quite badly. It's kind of like. It's almost a, it's not a joke, but it's almost like a given at this stage that when Liverpool and Norwich play, Liverpool are going to put some goals past them, and in some hilarious manner, usually. Um, and this this was proved to be another case like that. Like the the manager, I don't know the Fark FARC, is it Farke or Fark?
0: Uh, I I only ever hear people say his full name. He's one of those names. I think it's just Daniel Farka. Farka
1: Farke, yeah Farka. I'm going to say Fark because it's like the Colombian uh, paramilitaries.
0: You do you Andrew
1: Yes uh, but, but like he had no Answer for it at all It was like Okay this, He's just written it off And fairness that, If that's If that's his Style That's his style he's going to go on To the next match And I imagine Norwich will pick up Because they won the championship At a canter in the end Last year So you'd imagine they're, they're going to Put up some kind of fight In the Premier League But I do worry Looking through that team they have to integrate those new players there's quite a few of them their style of football i'm not sure what it is yet or if it can translate to the Premier league where they're going to be playing against better teams most weeks i'd worry about them but you know they were down there i don't think necessarily they're my favorites to go down right now having watched some a few other teams over the weekend the first weekend but it's early days but they're going to be in that battle come the end of the season and i I don't get the plods for them. Like Liverpool did what they had to do; they had to win. They had to keep the the pressure on City, and City responded. Obviously, the next day with an emphatic victory of their own. So it seems that they're going to. We're going to. Both the top teams have uh, started again where they left off at the end of last season.
0: Yeah, very much so, but I think a lot of the admiration for Norwich is maybe a little condescending. In the sense that, like, oh, the little guy tried, they tried their hardest and they gave. They didn't really actually trouble Liverpool, but, ah, by God, they, you know. Like an a FA game or something, yeah. Kind of, yeah. And, like, I think it's fair enough for Norwich to kind of write off this match just because it's the opening game of the season. Like, you just kind of have to accept that Liverpool are this great team. Mm. And, you know, they, they've got 37 other games where they can start and actually start the season. And really kick off and try to get some points. I hope they, you know, do well. Just because it is, I, I kind of like to see promoted teams do well, stay up, and not just be a waste of a promotion spot in the end.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I I feel that like last season's championship in the way it worked out in the end, you didn't get necessarily the strongest teams being promoted.
0: Cough, uh, Marcelo Bielsa's leads. cough. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah, you're looking. You're looking at these other teams, and you're like, uh... Like we, I won't go into it too much, but Sheffield United, they they do not look like a team that's going to be putting up much of a chance in the in the Premier League this season. Like they do look like a a harang of Championship level players, which are mostly made up of ex academy pro, pro- uh, products at, at different like Man City have a lot of players. It seems in uh, in Sheffield United's ranks from you know Man City U prospects from five six years ago are now Sheffield United stalwarts like Jack O'Connell and their players like that. Uh, yeah, so I I'd worry a bit about about Sheffield United getting staying up, and the other team. Then I don't know if you wanted to speak much about Aston Villa.
0: Uh, well, I did. I I actually got to watch Aston Villa, whereas I did not get to watch Sheffield United. Besides Billy Sharp getting that a kind of an emotional goal for him, him I think he's I think still he's, going. Like he's I, still I, going. I think it's worth actually just uh, mentioning Billy Sharp's goal for literally one second. It was just congrats, congrats to him. He scored two hundred twenty seven goals in the Football League in his career, and now he's scored in all four divisions. Uh, Robbie Earnshaw record goal. Like. I, I I think that's uh, admirable and uh, fair point oh, yeah. to him for that uh, but yeah well that's Sevilla uh, John McGinn another one of those names that I feel like everyone just says his whole name instead of just the last name uh, got off uh, scored against Tottenham within what 15 minutes Yeah, was it that was, early
1: yeah it was fairly and early
0: yeah. it was a well taken goal I, I don't know what happened to Tottenham really they just got caught out with a long ball caught napping uh, Danny Rose unable to really keep up then when he was really the only last man back at that stage. I wouldn't necessarily criticise Danny Rose for that goal, even though he did slip at the end, just because he was the only one that got back. Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't
1: blame the the defence really at all. I I I think it's something we highlighted very briefly last week about um, like a player who turned out to have a very good game and kind of the driving force behind everything Spurs did yesterday in uh, in Dumbledore. Can I say that right in? D-
0: in Ndombele, yeah.
1: Ndombele it was more what we said last week I don't think they were very defensively solid with Ndombele in the team because they don't have a kind of a requisite foil for him
0: yeah I think uh, I think a lot of that is uh, Harry Winks is, is being moulded into a, into a holding midfielder by Pochettino but that that experiment is still very much underway yeah, not, he's it's not I, a finished product at all
1: yeah I don't think he has to certainly not at the moment he doesn't have the positional sense the pace he needs that extra touch on the ball to kind of figure out what he's going to do, and I think he needs an extra second of his mind to figure out what position to take up on on the counter. And I think it leaves them very lightweight through the middle and leaves them suspect to those type of um, counter attacking goals. You know, the ones that go straight through the middle of a team where you have to be quick and get back into position quickly. And I think that's what kind of costs Tottenham early on in that match. And then they didn't have much creativity the other side because we they are looking at you know a team of. A lot of wantaways in that side, and maybe the the harmony that Pochettino is uh, renowned for is is deserting that team slowly but surely. And it took kind of solo runs from some of the more exceptional players in the squad to really bring and dig Tottenham out of that match, which we saw an awful lot last season. If you remember, how many times last season did we talked about how badly Spurs played and still got a result and ended up getting qual- Champions League qualification through it how long can that go on for? Because it seemed that yesterday it was all that again that like Harry Kane trying and Dombley the new who who is very good by the looks of things trying for the whole match to create something out of nothing and eventually getting there. Like the, they can't go on forever. You saw at the end of last season how they kind of their their performances started flaking away and you know the, the complete no-show in the Champions League final and it was like is there anywhere for them to go from here? Because I don't think they're going to ever do better in the Champions League final than the second place they secured the, the the season before then, or whenever they did. Did they ever secure second place?
0: Yeah, they did at the year Chelsea won the league under yeah. Antonio Conte in 16-17. But it, it is actually kind of ironic uh, that the probably most high-profile to player at Spurs was the one that came off the bench and really changed the dynamic of that match, though, because Christian Eriksen came on around the 70th minute and Tottenham were mm. just so much better from there on in. He gave and, them balance, like yeah. They, didn't, yeah.
1: they didn't have him for that. They had a they had a very good box to box player, kind of trying to do everything, and then they had you know the classic hurricane trying to do everything. But they didn't have anyone kind of linking up play or creating anything for and, either of those players.
0: I think a lot of that was to do with, like Moses Soko, who I think has largely improved in ways I didn't think I could ever say about Moses Soko over the last six months. But going forward, he's still just that weak link for Spurs. There were a lot of times where he was the one out wide on the right on the edge of the box trying to hit a ball in for someone and he'd always just hit an Aston Villa player mm. and then when Christian Eriksen came on he was the one finding Tottenham players in that position he was the one creating chances and it was ultimately uh him coming on that led to maybe not the equalizer itself but the the second and certainly the third goals came because of Christian Eriksen being on the pitch
1: definitely but yeah I I do worry about Spurs in the medium term like they're still going to be up there because they have the the you know the experience at this point and the the quality players he's said, if they hold on to ericsson between now and the next two weeks i don't know like i think they'll have to because
0: oh i think they they sell at this point there's
1: no one like harry winks was previously thought of a player that could be like christian ericsson in terms of his creativity but as you said they're they're trying to remold him into something else outside of him i, I don't know if Suzoko could act as that playmaker i don't think he really could and it's not in Dongley's game, so you're looking at Deli Ali trying to pull something out, and he's another player who has had a bad last year or so, really.
0: Yeah, and he, he's out with an injury now as well, and everything. And he, obviously, you know, we're trying to judge Spurs. It's only been one game. Yeah. They and they had a great not you know. They weren't necessarily at full strength either, with the likes of Deli Ali out, out injured, and where where was Son? Is Son actually injured? Or he's, injured right? Right. he's injured. He's okay. injured.
1: Well, according to the fancy football thing, he's injured. Sort of right, up. and that's gospel, of course. Yes, of course, he's yeah. red on that. So yeah, he's red. So yeah, we should use that
0: more often for yeah. injury it's concerns. It's great.
1: Like they're they're more up to date than the clubs in some regards. No,
0: that's pretty handy. Actually.
1: Like they yeah. had Alex Obi playing on Friday morning or Thursday um, morning playing for Everton. So they, they knew something someone else didn't know.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's. You know, for the first game of the season, I think Tottenham have kind of survived a scare and they've gotten off to a winning start And you know, the season is—it's a, a long road ahead from there. Mm. Uh, but their North London rivals, I think, have gotten off to a bit more of an optimistic start just because they just seem that bit more solid. Uh, Arsenal won one nil at Newcastle. Uh, they seem—they seem solid from what I saw in that match.
1: Yeah, they—they—they they, they were like. The, speaking of teams that are going to be in that relegation battle come the end of the season, Newcastle United. They they've spent big on a couple of players, but I think the commentator I was watching, I was, I was on Sky, I was watching it was, Alan Smith was co-commentator. I forget who the league commentator was, but he made a very good point that uh, with Rondon and pierre gone, that's 23 goals gone from Newcastle this season, and the players they brought in are untested in the Premier League. Like it was was it what's the name of him Joe? Joe il- Joe Linton. Joe Linton and the uh, Amorello, who has the weirdest looking player i've seen in a while for (laughs) like for an attacking player because he just looks like a kid that doesn't want to be there he's always frowning i don't get what the he's always unhappy but anyway long story short with that match the pitch was not in a good way which is very unusual for an august it didn't really feel like much of an august like match day you know the sun wasn't out it was wet in a lot of places or just overcast and dull and you know a lot of the pitches weren't up to scratch whether that's because of the weird weather they've been having with the the heat wave followed by heavy torrential rain followed by heat wave followed by heavy torrential rain you know that can cause issues i know with groundskeeping so the pitches weren't 100 percent. there was a lot of slipping a lot of falling and, and the you know the quality of football suffered as a result but like newcastle created very little in a match where arsenal really did kind of try things out there they've moved from a back three to a back four now and they're Playing Callum Chambers and Socrates, neither of those players are very quick in any rate, any means, so they're playing very deep. You have Monreal still playing left back for Arsenal and Maton Niles, who is who has said himself he's not a right back by any stretch of imagination, still playing right back and creating assists assist for the goal from right back, so he's he's doing a good job for a guy who doesn't consider himself very good at right back. But Arsenal, the, the interesting thing about that match, other than Newcastle's you know, relegation troubles that we'll probably come back to in a few weeks after C. Bruce has lost a few more matches, is that they played the kids. He played Reese Nelson. He played Joe Willock.
0: Unai Emery, I
1: mean Unai Emery. Yes, at Arsenal. He he had Martinelli onto the field. He brought on Pepe, who had a who had a couple of like little very slight cameos where he kind of did a couple of tricks for the the, the paying customers in Newcastle. A of four thousand of who I think didn't show up.
0: He had the very few that did show up. Yeah, yeah,
1: like they like that was the official number that didn't show up. But I, the stadium looked relatively empty. Like the Arsenal fans made a lot of noise. When they scored, like for a long time afterwards, a few minutes afterwards, singing and chanting, which is unusual in St James's Park, but um, that's the interesting from Arsenal. It's something similar that Manchester United also seem to be doing. Is that they are okay? We don't have endless funds, and we can't get you know we can't compete for buying these players that we desperately need in all these other positions. So we may as well give the kids that we produce in the club a chance. At, At worst, we'll give them match time so we can sell them on, and at best they might turn out to be a good player and the you know that we could get another Marcus Rashford situation on our hands
0: yeah like that we'll just move on as well and mention Manchester United they're 4-0 win over Chelsea like they played Rashford they played Lingard they played Pereira they played Scott McTominay i'm going to not say Paul Pogba even though they did play Paul Pogba and uh,
1: lingard they, james came on yeah james uh, came Lomba on Green,
0: greenwood came on mm-hmm. Like some of these, like they obviously they sign one massacre for a lot yeah. of money, but he is that a combination. But that's player.
1: investing in youth, you know. Yeah. The, I know they like spent they, a lot of money on
0: him. But Man United had the the youngest starting eleven, average age of any team this weekend uh, by like nearly a year as well. It was twenty four. Mm-hmm. I think it was twenty four point seven, and the next was like twenty five point two or something like so mm-hmm. by by about half a year. Uh, New Chelsea, interestingly, actually had the fifth youngest, and uh, I imagine it would have been a lot younger if they didn't start Pedro, who must be nearly forty. Yeah,
1: Pedro. Yeah, they're, I know we're going to talk in more depth about Chelsea, but yeah, Manchester United, I think the 4 0 flattered them. I think they were bad yeah, at a yeah. lot of times during the match. I admired their commitment to youth that I saw, but at the same time, I think they're very weak in midfield. They haven't upgraded there at all. And the likes of Scott McTominay, who's, I think, going to be caught out in this season because he's slow. I don't think Pereira is there because he's fast, but I don't think he's there as a he doesn't have that end product. Uh, and up front Rashford is definitely the, he's definitely the number 9 now even if he isn't on the back of his shirt that's Martial but he is taking that mantle of that Lukaku's left and it's going to take a while for them to adjust because I saw a few of their set play routines which I know Solskjaer worked on last season in this match against Chelsea and they seem to be very much geared towards a big number you know a big centre forward to take advantage of and it's something that they're now missing with Lukaku being gone um, Harry Maguire I think while being very slow in defence and there was a couple of times where it's like oh why have you signed this player but going forward he seemed to be excellent He's, he got a few headers off and he, he was a danger at set plays so maybe he would take up the Lukaku role from those uh, work set plays
0: yeah like obviously he actually uh, endeared himself to a lot of my United fans on social media this week because in his goodbye post to Leicester City he actually uh, used a picture of himself scoring against Liverpool last season oh, so, clever guy yeah, uh, very easy PR for him there. Yeah, but uh, with Manchester United as a whole, I think yeah, as you mentioned, midfield was a clear issue. Like they, you said they have an upgrade in midfield. I would argue they've actually downgraded midfield. Well, yeah, over this they've time got rid of year. their depth. <laughs> exactly, like they've lost uh, Fellaini and Herrera, who, while not the greatest midfielders in the world, were numbers. Uh, at yeah. the very least, uh, so they've lost that. Paul Pogba looks like he's alone in midfield, and he's the last midfielder you would want in the world to look alone yeah, in he, that position. He I needs think, people there to cover for him. And but I needs, think
1: he feels that he's alone because if you watch the match, a lot of the times he took every like I I don't know I think he got at least two assists during the match.
0: Yeah, that that was the thing. He didn't actually have the greatest game, but he no. ended up having two crucial assists. Yeah, the and match. they
1: were good assists as well. Like the 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 for the. Uh, for the third goal For Rashford's goal It was a fantastic Through ball For Rashford Perfectly weighted And I was like You won't get much better In assist that all season But there was a couple of times Where he he doddled on the ball I believe the The chance that Emerson Hit the front kind of front Frame of the goal Hit the post crossbar area Of the goal um, Was all Because of Pogba Doddling on the ball At the edge of the box yeah, There was another situation He tried do a Marseille yeah. turn And he completely lost the ball
0: there were a weird couple of moments there uh, in the first half anyway. I can't remember if there are any in the second half where he would try run around a couple of players at the same time and then he'd fall over looking for a free kick. And then the, like the, the player won the ball fairly. like It wasn't a free kick. And he'd just stay on the ground for that little bit longer than he should. And the Chelsea were able to counterattack from it. And it's just just seemed wasteful and like there, that's a criticism uh, i think many people had of paul pogba last year of that he just likes to get into a physical uh, situation that bit too often like he know like obviously he's a strong guy he likes the 50 50 but he doesn't need to go into the 50 50 that often like he, he's good enough to get around players through just grace and skill like he has that all-around challenge that he can do that without having to force his way through or barge his way through people
1: and eventually that attritional style of play will lead to injuries or suspensions or any different, you know, as he like gets he's been, older.
0: He's been sent off needlessly uh, multiple times. Like, yeah. I think every time. PSG and, last uh, season. Yeah, P- PSG. There was a time against Arsenal as well where he stood on... It was like the identical right card. He stood mm-hmm. on Hector Behr he stood yeah. on Compempe, I think it was.
1: Completely unnecessary. The only thing that I noticed is probably in the second half. In the first half, he played very deep. They seemed to play this kind of weird, very low-lying... Th- well, a low line two, himself and McTominay, and then Pereira was kind of further forward. But then in the second half, it was, the, it was reversed, because Pogba would sit very high up the pitch almost. That's what led to his you know, being in the position for the breakaway goals, to kind of get, you know, especially the third and fourth goals, because I believe he was the player that broke in for Daniel James' goal
0: yeah and like that was i I was picking up on his positions uh in the midfield on in possession as well in the first half because i noticed a lot of the time he was on the right side of the pitch instead of the left hmm. which is where he's kind of more suited you always think of pogba's position as the left in the midfield three uh which is very very specific yeah. uh, you don't normally say that about other players and, oh yeah this exact spot in this exact formation uh but with but in the first half especially he was on the right hand side a lot and but he wasn't on the right hand side in the in the way that like there were a couple of times where Juan Basaka was uh hugging the touchline on the right in a very Antonio Valencia-esque way, mm. and he was just completely isolated. They would put two put two players on him, and they'd win the ball back quickly. There was no offering him that uh, that out of just a pass back. But Pogba was still taking up that like kind of right hand side position without offering him that. It was very odd. And I think Pereira kind of should have been more helpful towards uh Wambasaka there because Lingard was kind of playing that free role. Uh so it'll be interesting to see. I think Pereira is maybe the weakest midfielder of the ones that played maybe in, in an attack of the attacking players I should say. Uh, he's the weakest uh like obviously Scott McTominay is There's uh, there's a lot of weakness in that midfield yeah, I don't think because even it, Juan Mata
1: when he came on did not look like a player capable of playing at that level anymore.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, I definitely I, I at the at this point I think Mata is mostly kept around because he's liked But he's played. He's He's still
1: being played. Because there's nobody else and he's going to play this season.
0: He was brought on at 4-0 as well, I remember. So it it is kind of just a generous, so I'll give you the paycheck for coming on. Against
1: your former side. Yeah. Bask in your glory.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I wonder how much they'll bask in the glory of Jose Mourinho being up in the punditry box as well. Yeah. uh, I definitely know uh, Paul Pogba Will will enjoy Knowing Mourinho Looked on scornfully Yeah As uh, Paul Pogba Played an impressive uh, Role in the four goals But Yeah United very much This feels like Could be the highlight Of their season They 4-0 against Chelsea That's a pretty good start To the season Frankly it's all All downhill from here You can go for stats That's That's the way People that Don't understand football Analyze football Is with stats I don't go for
1: step. I don't go for step.
0: Frank Lampard took charge of his first competitive match as manager of Frank Lampard's Chelsea this week and frankly it couldn't have gone very much worse than it did. Is this a sign of, poor, of a poor season ahead or will we look back on this 4-0 defeat at Old Trafford as a weird anomaly that can happen on the opening weekend of the season?
1: Well I think their saving grace with Chelsea about Frank Lampard's Chelsea is that there's a lot of bad teams in the Premier League and I think there's a lot of teams that will show up to Sanford Bridge, that small pitch, and will just be beaten before they're even on, on it, or will take a draw before they're on it, or see the big players at Chelsea coming and will just be beaten before, you know, psychologically beforehand. Because I do not believe this is a very good Chelsea team at all. I don't think anything Frank Lampard has done over the summer has made them any better, if not, if probably worse than, than Rachel Sari had them last season they're like, I can admire some of what he did. Like, obviously, he gave number the number nine shirt to Tammy Abram That's that takes quite a lot of courage and a lot of quite a conviction. Although that has to be qualified with the fact that they can't make any transfers, so no wonder they gave it to him because they have nobody else to give it to. But a lot of the players at Chelsea, I know you mentioned Pedro earlier. Pedro, I don't know. Like last season, I was like, how is this guy still getting into this team? You know, you think there be more competition. You know, especially when he was getting in ahead of Hudson and at at certain points of last season, you were like, "What what's going on?" Obviously, Hudson and Doy's is injured now, so Pedro kind of has a free run at the team and his decision making. There was one point I think it was either two, it was at it was either at one nil or it could have been at three nil of the of the match, where it was a complete Chelsea breakaway. United screwed something up, and I think Chelsea even had three on one with Pedro running right and two Chelsea players running left, and Pedro just held onto the ball rather than pass it and kind of ran into a corner and eventually lost the ball. And I was like, what is he doing? And what are these Chelsea players doing? And what is the plan? Because I didn't see any you know, creativity, any movement up the wings. There was no full-back play in the match at all. Not that you get much out of the fullback Chelsea have in terms of adding that extra dimension of width. Uh, the only time I saw Cesar Asplowata play he was either fouling someone or covering for Kurt Zuma as being the last centre-back, which that's not a good position to be in. But, like Without Eden Hazard, Eden Hazard really did keep them in... in not, in the top four contention for most of last season, did win them the Europa League in the end. But outside of him, you're looking at the rest of that team. You who like, this is going to be a long season for Chelsea.
0: Yeah, like uh, obviously I don't want to be all doom and gloom because only the first week and there were players missing from this starting eleven, like the likes of Hudson and and who's not who
1: who you will not see for the rest of the season most likely.
0: Uh, is it that is his injury that bad?
1: Well, I don't know. Ro- Loftus Cheek is definitely gone for the full season. Hudson-Otoy did a bad injury like wasn't it his ligaments oh he did. right
0: okay I thought he was back soon um, enough but like no even,
1: he's gone for a while even
0: someone like Pulisic sta- didn't start the match True. and he will take time to adjust to the Premier League I'm sure uh, it was annoying hearing the NBC M- yeah NBC commentators call him the face of American soccer and it was basically just Pulisic watched the whole match instead of a- the match being on but that's a whole other point that, uh, yeah, we'll, but that's fair. That
1: that's fair enough. Like if they have an American player in the in the, a, a big game, you know, it doesn't happen often. So it's it's interesting for them to see it. But like when Pulisic came on, I think I had high hopes for Pulisic going. Like last week, I even said I, I had high hopes for him doing well at Chelsea and maybe carrying Chelsea in the way Hazard did to an extent. But. Going on, he did not look full of confidence. He did not look like he was really geeing up the rest of his teammates, and the rest of his teammates didn't look very happy with him either. Yeah, so maybe there's a bit of disharmony but, there. But it,
0: is, it is obviously like a really bad spot to be in coming into a match where they were already what two, three nil down by then. Were they three nil down by the time it yeah, came? Yeah, yeah. So for your debut away at a ground like Old Trafford, it is incredible. There's very few more difficult scenarios to be in for to make your debut. Yeah. so I'll cut him some slack there, even if he wasn't very yeah, impressive. So
1: there- there's still time for him obviously I'm not going to write him off after one match especially the kind of match it was but like I believe Chelsea in just a, I know we're going off to one match but they they had more possession more shots I think certainly more you know kind of attacking creative uh, moments in the in the match than Manchester United did and they lost 4-0 yeah
0: like that the the key difference between these two teams was very much the ex- that, that extra bit of experience that the likes of Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial have over Tammy Abraham and Pulisic and uh, uh, Mason Mount. The, the man who's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't
1: like know. Like
0: Mason Mount, there was one scenario, I think it was 1-0 at this point, where Mason Mount was on the right and actually it might have even been 0-0. It was in the first half, and Mason Mount was on the right side of the box, uh, could have taken a shot, but instead did this this weird cutback thing where you weren't sure. Was he putting it on his left to shoot, or was he actually trying to pass it to someone because the touch was Mm -hmm. that bad that it just ended up at, I think it was Victor Lindelof's feet for an easy clear away. Like, he just looked inexperienced, Tammy Abraham. Obviously, he hit the post, but other than that was... I don't know. Very meek up front. Like you, you just yeah. you just look at this Chelsea side, and it's apparent they'll struggle to score goals this year.
1: Yeah, like they didn't put De Gea under. I think he made two
0: saves maybe in the match. To he caught a couple of chances. I don't remember any big saves that he had to make.
1: There, there was one maybe in the first half late on. Where... I, I remember
0: one where Harry Maguire got a slight touch of a deflection, and today De I had to move kind of last second, but it was still a comfortable yeah. save. Yeah, there was nothing. So, he was never under a spot of bother. Like,
1: no, yeah, there. It's and that's a bit worrying considering Manchester United as we as we we alluded to earlier. They did give up a few, a fair few chances. They were making mistakes in midfield and coming out of defence. Victor Lindelof still looks very shaky. So there was you know there was exploits there to be had for for Chelsea if they wanted them, but they didn't seem to take them. And then most worryingly, maybe as. A, because it's something that you know Chelsea have not had a two hadn't had that bad of a preseason, but you know going back to their very uh, Turner's cross, I think they played Bo- Bohemians in Ireland. They or was it Shamro? It was Bohemian. Playing, Ramit, Bo- Bo- it. Bohemians they played. Uh like they kind of played very similar to how that match went, where they kind of didn't really create much, and they looked they made a and not a great team look quite kind of like comfortable. Did they draw all that match? I think they did. Yeah, like, that's, that's and that was. <laughs> Yeah, that's I think Lampard started a 4-3-3 in that match and that made him switch to the 4-2-3-1 that he's now adopting but the 4-3-2-1 seems to completely isolate like I don't like who did anything in that match like the like uh, Jorginho seems to be a man that should have been sold at me immediately from the team because he he does not fit any kind of play that they're trying to do because was it was a lot less metronomic than last season where he'd pass it and pass it and pass it he was constantly being like obviously urged to Take the ball on and carry it a bit, and that doesn't suit his type of play. He got into a few fouls and bit of pushing and shoving with Manchester United players a couple of times during the match, and was eventually subbed off. Like like Gola Kante didn't even start.
0: Well, he's yeah, he's, he lacks fitness, and uh, he'll, he's slowly <laughs> going to be eased back into the side. But like the point with Jorginho is actually like he's an interesting player to raise kind of concerns about because like the last time he was managed by someone that wasn't Maurizio Sarri he wasn't playing in that team. He was all he was about to be sold by Napoli because he wasn't going to make it at that level. And then mm. Sarri came in and kind of played him in this, like, not bizarre position. Like, it's a perfectly uh, normal position. But Played it, him the savvy it was, role it was of a kind niche. of circulating the football. It yeah. was a niche position. Like, you, you can't think of many sides where Jorginho can easily slot in. You think of, well, you know, where Sarri is as a manager is where he's going to fit in. But other than that, like, he's not going to fit in at too many sides. Like, Italy seems like the place where he should be now as opposed to at Chelsea.
1: Yeah, or maybe PSG or something like that. So, you know, a team that isn't requiring you to do a lot of work, a lot of dog work in midfield, because alongside, at least for a lot of the match, was Kovacic, who, I know we talked a bit about it, like what how many of these Chelsea players would make it into another top six side. And we were like, ugh...
0: Kovacic maybe, but like then again when you think about it, he doesn't actually do much. Yeah, Kovacic, like, he, he was obviously at Real Madrid and he, and he was quite good uh, for Zidane there coming off the bench.
1: But Thought of as a replacement for Modric exa- exactly. In the long run, that's why he was signed.
0: And I remember at the World Cup in Russia thinking, you know, there were a couple of times... He didn't start for Croatia. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> the, that's the thing, like, I remember watching Croatia and in times where they weren't winning or they were struggling to maybe finish off their opponent. like Especially against like Russia, I think it was, in the quarter-final where I was just thinking, why aren't they bringing on Kovacic? Like, he seems like the perfect player to come in and just settle this match once and for all. Mm. But as time has gone on, as I've seen more of him play at Chelsea, the more I realize, like, uh, Zlako Buvac is at the Croatia manager. Mm. Like, he was spot on to not play Kovacic because he brings nothing to this Chelsea team yeah it's as if he's
1: just another player another number on the field I
0: feel kind of bad for him like obviously you know he signed the contract with his own free will and body as far as we know so, uh, it's <laughs> his decision, but it felt like Chelsea only signed him because they couldn't sign literally anyone else. So, yeah, like they, they needed numbers, the situation so benefited did. everybody, yeah. It's just, that's frustrate, frustrating to know that he's there for no other real reason, and yeah. then it's frustrating to watch him because he doesn't do very much of anything at all, yeah. and like he's being outshone by Ross Barkley, who is not the most impressive individual. Like no. I think of Chelsea's players, Ross Barkley was the most impressive, but...
1: I that's, and he got on the ball more than anybody yeah. I don't know if that's impressive but he did he had a I think he had a long shot that just went wide in the first half yeah and, he
0: dragged it wide Like, but when I say Ross Barkley was the most impressive there's not a high bar for him to leap no, over there no
1: and Ross Barkley did have a successful preseason things scored four goals in consecutive matches in preseason or something like that and he's been finally given that more advanced you know Frank Lampard-esque role behind the striker but I I don't think he's good enough. I don't think he was good enough at any point in his career, but certainly not since he's joined Chelsea. And you know maybe Mason Mount was the other player that was being touted to play in that number ten role, and Kovacic is the other player that maybe can do that at the club. But you know, like none of them breed that much confidence. Like uh, to to go back to the point about who else would get into any of the other top six sides. The only two players we can think of were Rudiger, who's injured for the foreseeable future, I believe. Which uh and uh maybe in Golo Kante if it was in Golo Kante of a couple of seasons ago, maybe not in Golo Kante of this season.
0: Yeah, like i am I'm, I'm interested to see how uh Kante does when he comes back because obviously there were a lot of criticism of last of Sari last year for his use of Kante. as a right
1: winger uh, yeah (laughs) as
0: opposed to maybe criticism of Kante himself as a player Mm. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what uh, how he does when he reverts back to his original role of you know being in the double pivot of a base 2 and a 4-2-3-1 and
1: maybe maybe that'll give you like him alongside Kovacic will give Kovacic maybe a bit more freedom and maybe Kante will be a bit more you know will look a lot better than he has looked maybe the last 18 months or so because he you know, it's I, I felt a bit near the end of his first season at Chelsea. I think he won Player of the Year that year. He obviously did help Chelsea win the league under Kante. But I felt that a lot of teams kind of figured them out in a way that, OK, the way to get around Kante is to bulk up on numbers in the centre of the park and play around him. And I think that's what happens at international level if you see France playing. is Because like, Kante does not look anywhere near and never did as impressive at France as he did in you know, at, at club level at Leicester and at Chelsea laterally and I think moving him to the right wing kind of killed his game because he isn't that kind of player. He's not that kind of creative force or that kind of battery charge player that can do a lot of other things on the off the ball that that you know a player playing that position needs to be able to do. So I'd be interested to see how how he actually goes, but the rest of the team is lacking immensely. And I know they're they're hamstrung by the transfer ban, and I know that they they have a lot of promising young players. But I didn't see any of it on show today. And maybe this is a, a a giant, you know, kind of plan, like mind game from Frank Lampard's Chelsea that he'll play badly in the first game to give everyone else a, a you know how would you say it a false, a false sense, sense of security, yeah. In the in the and they'll smash whoever they're 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 playing Liverpool in the midweek. That feels very
0: uh, galaxy brain, as uh, I think people will call it.
1: Yeah, like maybe maybe that's the plan. Like may, like Germany in nineteen fifty four, in some style. Uh, I I I don't know if if that's his style, but they seem to be like he wasn't. And you don't have to be a barking manager on the sideline yelling at your players. It's sure himself who who masterminded this four 0 victory, barely until the third or fourth goal get in. Went in He didn't really Get out of the Dugout at all He didn't talk You know he wasn't Shouting or screaming Or anything like that Frank Lampard on the other hand Stood for the majority Of the match Just against the brick walls Of Old Trafford Didn't do much Talked a bit to Jody Morris behind his back And that was it And you're like Oh well like This team doesn't seem To have much of a focus Or a drive Or a plan And Like I I, I'd like maybe To be corrected People who may have seen A lot more Chelsea In pre-season Could correct me on it And show us The error of my ways But I I don't know what's happening with this Chelsea side like Kepa is still he flapped at a few balls I'm still not convinced about that really expensive keeper Kurt Zuma, who looks to be the first choice centre back going forward for the next wide at least got caught out at least for two of the goals today at least
0: and then like could have been uh, at fault for another couple of goals if Martial had been maybe a little more clinical in front of the goal
1: yeah and he's in like he never looked this bad playing for Stoke or for Everton And that was the relegated so exciting Or even like
0: at Chelsea The first time When he was getting Into the side Like before he got That absolutely horrific Injury against Against Manchester United Yeah Uh, Like he he seemed like He was able to do A solid job for a team there But but he seemed to be Completely lacking Pace his position Since like as
1: I said Aspicueta was the last Man back for the third goal I think And like why was he Covering in centre half Like it made no sense uh, but next to him is Christensen who has never really impressed me at Chelsea I know he did well in Germany when he was away there but he's never impressed me at Chelsea he got caught out a couple of times in the first half like just was beaten in the air beaten on the ground it was like what's the point of you like it's, it seems more and more bizarre that they got rid of David Louise now when at the very least his defence needs some experience
0: uh, it is interesting as well like because You've mentioned the like transfer ban and obviously that's why the team isn't maybe looking so great right now, but Like, that transfer round really couldn't have come at a worse time for Chelsea. Like, they're a team completely in transition. They've lost their best player, Dean Pazzer. They've lost the experience in defence, like David Luiz. Their players are that bit older, like William, who Mm. didn't play today, I know, but is getting on. Pedro, who looks old as well as feels and plays old. And then they've got that inexperience of youth uh, at the likes of Mason Mount and Tammy Mm. Abraham. who they, they They need... to bridge that gap somewhere in the middle those players are coming into their peak and like they have Pulisic who is closer to that I guess but this is, he's a new he is a new signing and you're not going to really rely on him for the calmed, experienced head I would mm. I would think no he's not a leader yet certainly and then you have to con- you have to really consider the appointment of Frank Lampard to Frank Lampard's Chelsea um, mm. he really It feels like he was only really appointed so that the board could maybe have a face to the fans to avoid any criticism of like, oh, why was this transfer ban in place? Why are we such a mess? Why is this team clearly not being funded as much as it used to be 10 yeah. years ago? Where's the anymore? owner gone?
1: How come the owner doesn't come to matches? Exactly. Where's the owner's like, box? Where's the the constant intervention? Like, uh, Sarri wouldn't have lasted six months in 2008 at Chelsea yeah exactly and like he was I, there for the whole season I remember
0: around the time they lost 6-0 to Man City before the League Cup final back in mm. I think it was February there was a, a day right before that match that was actually the 10 year anniversary of Luis Felipe Scalari getting sacked and yeah. it, like I, I think if they reversed the roles Luis Felipe Scalari would have finished out all of last season at Chelsea like it feels very oh, much yeah. like that
1: yeah, definitely. Uh,
0: and and then it just feels like it feels like a waste for for Frank Lampard. Like I thought I was encouraged by the fact that he took the Derby County job. And there's the whole thing of like he was offered the Ipswich job and he turned it down because it wasn't right for him. And like there's that whole comparison to the fact that he arrived he, as a player. He would always show up in the right spot at the right moment and take advantage mm. of that. And I was like, oh, maybe he could do that as a manager, perhaps, when he decides what clubs he goes to. Uh, But I think that was maybe a romantic look at uh, his decision-making because... uh, Well, I think it's
1: what Frank Lampard thinks as well. I think he thinks this is the perfect timing for him. Well,
0: perhaps, but... I just can't see it. Like he, he's one year under his belt at management, at a year at Derby County where they were fortunate that Leeds capitulated in that semi-final of the playoffs. Oh, absolutely! Uh, to get to maybe put a, a sheen on a, an average Lee campaign. Like uh, obviously, I didn't watch a huge amount of Derby County, but they got fewer points in the year before under Gary Row. Sure, they managed to bring in a few youth players, and there was maybe a bit more optimism at the end of the season than under Gary Row. But it was still very much on paper not the most impressive season i would have liked to have seen him go a second round so we could maybe get a get a bit more like he what i'm trying to say is it was a low sample size you know when you do a test of something once and you get a decent result you think oh okay but how does he actually do over the course of two three four seasons and if he'd Mm -hmm. been able to get to the playoffs again this year maybe even go up automatically then you could think oh yeah maybe he he could manage Chelsea down the line but you still feel like he needed time more time in the championship more time with lower level Premier League clubs before he could even consider becoming the Chelsea manager because when you look at the 20 managers currently in the Premier League right now you would say that Frank Lampard is maybe the least qualified
1: Yeah, I, I, it, it's probably fair to say that, that you can't disagree with anything you said there The only, the only kind of opposition view to it would be Look at Pep Guardiola. One it se- was it one season or two seasons at Barcelona B before he took over the big job. Look at the likes of Jurgen Klinsmann when he took over Germany two thousand six. Look, you know, sometimes or look at Zidane as obviously it's the biggest one as well in recent years. But the, look at I, I the, would, the would, parachuting in play like player managers or great players into big teams, and they're kind of for, force of personality overwhelming everything else.
0: But I would I would actually counter that to the fact that when Jurgen Klinsmann and when Pep Guardiola were appointed. Both of those managers, sure, they had limited experience in the way that Frank Lampard has limited experience, but Pep Guardiola gave a presentation to the board that clearly impressed them. He clearly came in with a plan, a philosophy. He had an understanding of the club. I know that's now a bit of a cliche, Mm. uh, but not just of the club, but of the way they needed to play football. I'm not sure Frank Lampard Lampard obviously understands Chelsea, but I'm I'm not sure he altogether understands and knows how to implement How Chelsea are supposed to play Because you look at the teams Frank Lampard played for At Chelsea They were stodgy They were defensive They were hard to break down They were counter-attacking They were exciting on the break At their best But maybe not the best at Breaking down defenses And you know They would uh, There were problems with managers There were temper temper tantrums thrown There were various issues With the board interfering With the manager and all this so he, it just doesn't feel like there's that same level-headedness that uh, Germany and Barcelona used and considered when appointing those managers. Whereas Chelsea, it feels like it's a very political move to appoint Frank Lampard because it'll keep fans happy. It'll, they, yep. they won't turn and look inward and criticize the board as to why the season's going bad. I think a lot of Chelsea fans have already written off this season, which is fair enough. That it doesn't look like they're going to achieve much. Like uh, They won the Europa League last year. They can enjoy that. They can think about the, the youth players coming in through. And it is interesting that Frank Lampard is playing the youth players. But even then, I would wonder, would he be doing that if the, if the transfer round wasn't in place? If he didn't have the uh, quote-unquote assurances that he will be manager this time next year, which I doubt uh, based on this performance, based on the fact that the players aren't there, based on the previous managers that have been at chelsea like hmm. frank it could be easily argued that frank lampard is the greatest player in chelsea football club's entire history uh I'm, obviously i'm not like i'm not a chelsea fan so i'm not going to argue one way or another but the argument can be made that he's, he's the top scorer yeah, absolutely yeah. he won everything that there is to win there uh he was a fantastic player
1: he's their top scorer yeah as you said like well, top, is he top appearance maker as well uh, up, up there yeah but yeah. then
0: you look at the players that are at Chelsea. Uh, bringing in youth players is maybe uh, an emotional ploy to maybe have players there who look up to Frank Lampard and won't turn on him and stab him in the back when yeah. things go wrong. In the way that maybe yeah. Pedro would not have that affiliation with, he might not have that respect for Frank Lampard in the way that he might not have that respect for Maurizio Sarri. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, uh, I'm not trying to signal out, uh, or single out Pedro either. He was just the first that came to mind. Uh, but I'm not and I'm not trying to say that Pedro lacks respect for people. I'm sure Pedro respects a lot of professionals. Uh but I just think that the likes of Pedro, the, the outsiders of the club, Marcus Alonso and uh, even maybe Christian Pulisic who maybe is young enough to maybe respect Frank Lampard. Um but I don't know. Uh but I wonder will they have as much patience with Frank Lampard as much as say the fans will or the mm. youth players will.
1: Yeah it's a, it's an interesting it's a, we'll watch with, with the season very interesting i don't think necessarily if things go wrong for chelsea this season it's all the blame will lie with frank lampard but you as you say he may get the blame whether it is all his fault or not
0: like i'm i'm just kind of disappointed in frank lampard I don't, I don't know if that's becoming <laughs> obvious like too much I'm just disappointed in the fact that he went to Chelsea when he did. Like, it felt like he used his heart over his head, which, you know, happens in life. You make decisions using your heart instead of your head. But I just...
1: I disagree. I think he is an expert politician already. I think he always <laughs> has been. I think, I think, yeah, like, or at least he thinks he's an expert politician. Yeah, I think that's more is. the case. And I think he saw this as a golden opportunity for going into Chelsea at the lowest ebb that he could possibly go to. Which sounds ridiculous, having a team who just made two finals last year... Uh, secure champions league qualification and won the Europa league you know that's that's not a bad season cuz all considering with the transfer ban looming with your biggest player being wanted away all season you know the the they're they at their low 7 years their owner doesn't care anymore they've a transfer ban in place they can't they can't really do anything about anything uh, going forward the future is a bit you know uncertain with the stadium plans being cancelled and everything like that so he comes in with a you know their expectation at this point Is Chelsea to finish 6th place I think
0: But At, this at best I, But at this point I don't even know If they, they can finish 6th no, place it, I, I know it's only been one match I don't want to yeah. react to this But Like I, 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 back, I just like, think losing 4-0 To Man United Is a bit pathetic Which Maybe says more about Man United as well In one, in one sense But it just seemed yeah. Pathetic
1: Well just looking at someone Like Tammy Abraham Looked like a player That was playing the championship Last season He didn't look like Anything near a player That could play In the Premier League Like Chelsea have got rid Of much better Attacking players Than Tammy Abram like remember they used to have Daniel Sturridge remember when they used to have, you know and he was like surplus to requirements and then he went on and scored how many goals that season for Liverpool or in the following year like the, the Lukaku case, like they got rid of him very quickly and they don't have anyone near that level at the moment like, Tammy Abram is not at that level so they they will struggle this year I have no doubt about it
0: yeah like it, it is just going to be interesting to see how they react to this obviously they play Liverpool on Wednesday night which is maybe the like, last opponent they probably want to play now It'll be interesting to see what team Frank Lampert plays. Does he play a competitive team or does he rest players already at getting ready mm. for the long season ahead? Or does he just go all guns blazing, try and react and prove a point and put up a fight against Liverpool? Or does he just kinda rest everyone and accept defeat?
1: Hmm Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> the way you put it, like it doesn't sound like a very uh a very good outlook for Chelsea.
0: Yeah, where's that match on, do you
1: know? Is it not on a neon or, or Monaco or? Uh, oh, or it might, it it might in be somewhere. in
0: Saloude, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had it in Ukraine recently, didn't they? Yeah, I was just wondering, was it going to be like uh, last year when they had it in uh, Estonia? I think it was. Oh, I don't know. Or is it in a, a kind of easier-to-travel area? A match
1: that no one wants to play and no one will watch most likely. <laughs> Yeah, no,
0: I'm probably not going to watch it uh, on Wednesday night, to be honest. Don't say that, don't say that. Uh, you, you know, sure, we've got things to be doing on Wednesdays, like, you know. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but, like, uh, yeah, with with Chelsea, like, obviously, I, I do want to say that this isn't their full-strength side. I'm interested to see uh, how they play... When they do have uh, all their players available, which sounds like it could be a while before that happens, so it's just it's just Frank Lampard that I'm disappointed in. Like it just seems like this was the wrong decision, and I've been thinking that for a while. And then I was wondering, oh, maybe like the first ten minutes gets my out. I was thinking, oh, maybe Frank Lampard can <laughs> has gotten something out of these players. He's G'd them up a little or something. But yeah, no, they just they they They, pitch later. they just look meek. They look like mm. they're not going to score a lot of goals. I I'd actually say that they'll draw a lot of games this year, whether it's 0-0 or 1-1, because like, they don't look hugely defensively solid, but they look competent, which I can't mm. necessarily say about some of the other clubs in this league. Uh, maybe even Manchester United included in that, uh, but they don't look competent going forward. They look like they already lack ideas. They look like they don't have a plan. They look like they don't know how they're going to score. They don't look like they know who's going to score. Uh, I wonder about Olivier Giroud, a player we've not mentioned. Like, mm. Where's he? Like why didn't he yeah. play today? Uh, so, yeah, I, re- I really wonder about this team. Like they 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 have more of a midfield than Man United, I guess, but they probably don't have that quality that Paul Pogba has.
1: Yeah, they have the, they have a the greater team e- ethic in there. They have more players, but they don't have anyone as good as Pogba.
0: And, and I think what you said at kind of the start of this conversation will ring true. That uh, you know, I think that was a Roy Keaneism of uh, when he was at Man United. There'd be a lot of matches where he'd just look at the opponent in the tunnel and he knew they'd won. Like, Mm. I think Chelsea will have a few matches like that this year where teams just don't even try because they're at Stamford Bridge, and Stamford Bridge is a terrifying place to go or whatever. Mm. Uh, But I think when teams start to realise that this team can be got at, in the way that happened last year with Maurizio Sarri, once teams figure that Chelsea Chelsea side out, it's going to be... a long road ahead for Frank Lampard and going into the season I thought oh there's no way this bubble of the top six sides will be broken this year hmm. after what is it three years in a row now that they finished in the six positions of, to- of one yeah. to six but based on based on this one match and I know it's only one match but I I think that Chelsea are not only by far the most likely to slip out of the top six of those six sides but it's possible that they slip out of this top six
1: yeah oh absolutely
0: and I'll be interested in the Champions League now when they come up against quality opposition in all those matches most likely but I think that's a punt to
1: nothing I think they don't really I don't think they envisage much in the Champions League maybe to get into knockout stages and anything's a
0: bonus yeah every second is a bonus for uh, Frank Lampard at Chelsea I think is your head in the sand? are you flexible enough to get your head in the sand? my suspicion would be no uh, we'll close out the show now, and we'll uh, look ahead. It's good to have the football back, of course, Andrew. Uh, you of know, course, we've missed it over the last three months. Uh, Premier mm. League back in full swing next weekend. Uh, no rest for the is it no rest for the weary, or no rest for the wicked. I always forget. The. No,
1: well, both works, but wicked is the more common one, I believe. Well, we'll go with
0: no rest for the wicked, so and uh, we'll we'll look ahead to next week's Premier League fixtures. There's a few interesting ones. Sure, Arsenal, Burnley, Southampton, Liverpool. They can be fun Or whatever But the big The big match is Man City against Donham How do you see That one go
1: I think this is An absolute Nailed on Manchester City victory I think they have To win Because I expect Liverpool will go in With the same attitude They went in against Norwich Of we must win We must keep The pressure on And I think Man City will feel That pressure already We're in I don't I believe it will Break down later on In the season But I think we're you Remember we said It was like March When we went through The fixtures Between then and The end of the season And we were like Both teams are going To drop points And neither team did They kept it rolling Until the end And I think they're both Still in that mode of If we don't win this match The other team is going to win this match And we're going to fall behind I think that will eventually stop Because you know Invariably it does Teams get tired And you know Inconsistency creeps in And you know You can't sustain that For a whole season But I, I think for the next few weeks At least Both Man City and Liverpool Will go Hell for leather To try and win all of their matches And try and do it in some style And as we said Like The Spurs really did struggle at breaking down an Aston Villa side that didn't really have much to offer for a lot of that match. Like They were giving up a lot of chances, giving up a lot of possession, and I don't think Man City are going to be as uh, generous as Aston Villa were. And you're looking at, okay, what's going to happen in this uh, Spurs side? Plus, there's that rivalry that's kind of developing between Spurs and Man City where they really don't like each other, at least, you know... The fans don't and the the whole hangover from the champions league quarterfinals going to ring in the ears of Man city and they'll want to make a statement against the spurs team
0: yeah it, it is interesting that they play so soon in the season after they play what three matches in a row last season at the end yeah. of last season so the, the, and like two of those matches were in the were two of those no one of those matches in, no two of them were in the etihad like back to back weren't they yeah and like one of them was a mad, crazy game. Finished what four three yeah. to the Man City, and uh, that late the fire goal. Fire saved them, yeah. Yeah, that late goal uh, taken away from them at the at the very end of that match. So it'll be yeah. interesting to just see is this match a little calmer because the Premier League match was the weekend after then, and that was very much calmer. Man City weren't yeah. at their best the of, routine
1: Man City win if I believe
0: but Man City weren't at their best that, that mm. time just because it was so close to the Champions League match and Tottenham maybe missed a couple of chances that they could have mm. scored and level but it was it was in the end a comfortable enough 1-0 win yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see just how Tottenham fare in this match because uh, Tottenham I think will prefer playing away at Man City than at home to Aston Villa at this stage of the season will they? <laughs> like just, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, but they'll be more comfortable because they won't have the ball as often, so they won't have to try to break down this typical defense. Yeah, and, they can try
1: and play counterattack the whole time. And
0: Pochettino will, of course, uh, make reference to the tactical fouling we mentioned earlier in the show. Oh, of <laughs> inevitably, at some stage this week, he will mention it. So, uh, it, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll it's definitely the game of the, of the weekend even though it does feel like it could easily end up Man City 4 Tottenham 1 again or something like that
1: yeah I wouldn't be surprised if the scoreline's like that but it will be the biggest game of the- like when is it on is it on lunchtime or uh, it on? it's the evening kickoff on Saturday evening kick off on Saturday yeah I, I, I can't see it going any other way but Man City's just because of the that kind of intensity that they will keep up at the beginning of the season that they'll carry from that West Ham match on and I don't see them stopping anytime soon they have to do what they have to do and in their minds that's to win every single match that's not possible but for now it is and i don't think this spurs team is i know they they supposedly had a good preseason. i heard good things they beat real madrid they brought through a, a few young players who, who didn't feature really against aston villa but they brought through a few young players then so maybe they do have more depth they've actually signed players like La Celso could actually you know make an, some kind of impact in this match and Uh, what's the name of the other player who I completely forgot that they signed on deadline day as well
0: Uh, Ryan Sessenjong from Fulham
1: Ryan Sessenjong you know a lot of things have been said about him I thought he was a great prospect at one stage I'm not as sure about him now but it is more bodies there there is a lot of running in those players which is something that's you know Spurs always have built their game on so that's something they can point to you know when a lot of last season they had a lot of injuries and they had just players playing in kind of improper roles for their skill set so th- there is some hope there for Spurs, absolutely. And, you know, but I, I really can't see beyond Man City in this match and further on from that I can't see beyond Liverpool and their match against Southampton
0: yeah because like we didn't mention Southampton earlier but uh, they lost 3-0 to Burnley at home which is ne- not a good way to start the season no uh, but it is interesting that like we're all I'm already looking at this going well Liverpool play first this weekend so that's an advantage for them because then Man City will know what the result uh, I'm already mm. thinking of that like late season psychological edge yeah, of playing yeah. first like, uh, and it's and that's, that's where
1: we're at at the moment yeah yeah, so that's Well uh, I do think that's an, I think that's a disadvantage for Liverpool because I think they feel that psychological pressure a lot more than Man City do. Man City are champions. They've been there. They've done that. Liverpool obviously, you know, whenever they took the lead in the in the title race last season, they they folded Well, I so,
0: I just think that there's there usually there's the added pressure of knowing you have to at least match the result of your uh, rival who's played earlier. Mm. Mm. But, no, uh, I get you. It may, it maybe because it's so sense, earlier but... in the season, it actually yeah. reverses. It is weird bizarre, way.
1: and especially considering like Man United won four 0. Yeah, so they're actually above. The, you know, above Liverpool. it's still the beginning of the season. Like everyone could, in you know, there's no one saying that we couldn't have a Leicester City this year.
0: I, I, but it's not I, I'd, I'd be very surprised. Well, I suppose Man United would be a, the Leicester City time kind of. Story. Yeah, that would that's, be the fairy tale. You that's know? the state of affairs we've got ourselves into. Man United are the fairy tale league winners at this point. Or yeah. Arsenal or Chelsea or yeah. something like that,
1: <laughs> or even Spurs. You know that'll
0: be the yeah the real fairy tale would be Spurs Champions League
1: finalists finally yeah. win Premier League <laughs>
0: redemption at last for Pochettino. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's another uh, full weekend anyway. It'll be uh, enough to look forward to. We got Monday night the return of Monday night football. at Last we'll. Uh, Hopefully see a bit of Jose Mourinho on Monday Night Football at some point this season. Uh, Him him and Gary Uh, Neville would be pretty good, Now you have to admit.
1: I don't know. I don't really like any of it. He's very self-serving in his uh, punditry as Jose Mourinho.
0: But uh, entertaining, though. Just, uh, Just to see whatever nonsense he comes up with. So yeah, that'll that'll be fun to look forward to. We mentioned the Super Cup as well, just you know, to set your reminders for Wednesday if you're a Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool are going to win that Super Cup. (laughs) Yeah, and if you're not a Liverpool or Chelsea fan, just ignore it like the rest of us. Mm. Uh, A quick question on
1: the Super Cup. Yeah. Does the Super Cup dictate who goes the world the club world? cup whatever the FIFA call that thing that's on in January in Japan
0: not traditionally uh, but and I don't think that that is so it's just that it's
1: still like Champions League winners still I believe it's just it. the Champions League oh, okay. winners still like
0: that's what it's always been uh, yeah from my memory. I, no, I was I, just
1: wondering because uh, yeah what did this match matter in any way no I, I don't think no. that will
0: really change because there's been mm. there's been plenty of times the Europa League teams actually won this match uh, okay. over the years but yeah I, I remember as NS Petersburg beat Man United at one point good times you know. good times Some, yeah, some, Sevilla some be, were in loads of them yeah I think Sevilla beat Milan one year uh, mm-hmm. when they won it against Liverpool in 2007 uh, so yeah the Super, the Super Cup's a, a weird weird and novel kind of affair it really is I'm not sure what the point of it is though it, it, just to close off the show I do remember that time Fellaini had the headband around himself oh yes and that looked hilarious that was the Super Cup so it does bring us good moments here and there
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, there is there is those little casual times.
0: So that'll do us for this week. Uh plenty of football to go ahead. We've got thirty seven more weeks of this. Plus international breaks. We've got a Euro twenty twenty to build up to in all those weird cities. Oh yeah. So
1: can't wait. Yeah, it's gonna be You're making it sound so so attractive.
0: It's gonna be so great. Ah, oh, we'll have a few here in Dublin, sure. That'll be that'll be good fun. Oh yeah. Can't wait. Uh so hopefully you'll you'll all join us for the rest of the season, listeners, and uh we'll have a nice little Fun get together adventure on this wild ride that is the sport we call football. And uh, uh, Thank you for be- being here this week, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Enjoy your ride. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the total football takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.